It's time for you to get in the game by playing on the Bet Monarch app. Easy to do. Download the Bet Monarch app in the Apple App Store for Apple devices or on Monarch Casino's website, monarchblackhawk.com for Android devices. The Bet Monarch app is terrific. If you have a wild hair, get on up to their beautiful resort and casino in Blackhawk. But you can always download the Bet Monarch app. I have really become a coffee snob. I love my Boyer's coffee every morning, and I have two cups to get my day going. The first one, Julie, I know you care about this, is caffeinated. The second one is decaf. You just gave me a softball about being a snob. You know that, right? Well, you are a snob. I thought you were a snob. Boyer's Coffee, as unique as the company, legendary roasts include Rocky Mountain Thunder, Aspen Gold, Denver Blend, European Coffee. The list goes on and on and on. You can go to the store, King Super, Safeway, Sam's Club, Walmart, or go to boyerscoffee.com to get a Colorado Company coffee. It's fantastic. They've been roasting coffee in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brauman, the controversial decision to pull Blake Snell in Game 6 of the World Series. The next guy up after they took him out was Mookie Betts. He looked at Dave Roberts and he smiled. He grinned at him like, I'm so thankful they took this guy out. What will the fallout be from the Dodgers' Justin Turner returning to the field after a positive COVID test? I would suspend him for 10 games next year. Yeah, I mean, hey, man, that may have been worth it for him. And Drew visits with CU head football coach Carl Durrell. I want to be a guy that's going to be give a level of stability in the program. And also, the thing that I wanted to do more than anything was to earn their trust. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. All right, welcome, everybody. It's show number 68 to the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. And uh, you know what? I thought we'd start this show before we get into the World Series. And a little bit later on, we're going to have a... Uh, an interview with Carl Durrell, the head football coach of the University of Colorado, the new head football coach of the University of Colorado. Their season is going to be starting soon. But before all of that, Julie, I understand. I just I don't remember where I heard this, but mm-hmm. I understand you had a an interesting second date the other day with somebody. Yeah, so for people that thought they were tuning in to hear uh, baseball, you're going to actually hear about a terrible date. Well, listen, baseball comes and goes, but <laughs> terrible dates, I mean, they, they last forever. Okay, I felt like maybe I was being a little too judgy, but maybe you can tell me if I was, and the listeners can tell me if I was. This is a second date, okay? So you had a first date that was successful enough that you were embarking on a right. second date. The second date. He but said, it's not like you know each other super well. I mean, it's a second date. Right, where you should, you, you should put your best foot forward. You should still be on your best behavior. Right. And wanting to make a wonderful impression right so what do you think about this he said why don't you come over and we'll walk and get tacos and we'll hang out okay i take a uber there and he's like let's meet at six i get there 5 45 okay knock on the door doesn't nobody comes to the door i open the door after knocking a couple times i look in my second date is passed out on the couch <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? Shame on you. Why shame on me? Because you should have learned enough on the first date. There should have been some sort of indication on that first date that this dude is shaky in some regard. Who the hell is hammered? He's drunk? Yes. He had apparently, after I was like, hello, hello, he had gone day drinking. Nothing wrong with day drinking. But- There's a problem with day drinking if you have a date at six o'clock. Right. 
Right. Now, if you if you guys had been dating for six months or eight right. months, ha ha, you know, you yeah. could get over that one. Second yeah. date. Yeah. So, su- suffice to say, there's not going to be a third date. There's not a third date. date. No. Okay. And before we get into the World Series, yeah. now I get to ask you. What? Tell me about a, da- a bad date of yours. Oh, man. You caught me off guard. <laughs> a bad date. I'm, yeah, I'm going to sit here. It's not. This isn't good. This isn't good theater because I'd have to think about it for a while. All my dates are wonderful. Oh, my God. You're that one person in the universe that has had all good dates. No, that's not okay. not true. But I'll I'll think about that. All right. Your... Speaking of good things, though, mm-hmm. it's tough to say because we're Rockies fans. We like the Rockies to do well. But when the Dodgers win the World Series, can we say good job? I I sent out a tweet that night, Julie, that they congratulated them because here's the thing for me. They were the odds on favorite and we mm-hmm. and we know they've been a great team for a number of years and they always fall short, right? And you're giving me the gag me with the spoon from Valley Girl <laughs> days, right? Um I get that and I get where a lot of folks certainly around here don't like the Dodgers and I've had my moments where I really don't like the Dodgers. I I love Dave Roberts and there's certain guys on that team that, you know, good guys, but uh, I'm, I'm sure they have a, a roster full of good guys, quite frankly, but um, they're easy not to like. And there was a part of me that was kind of happy they got it done. Um, you know, I have great respect for Clayton Kershaw. Right. And and in this season, right, we talked so much about it this summer, Julie, 60 games, you know, is it going to lead to maybe some team that really isn't good enough and, and somehow snuck through? You know what we had? We had the Dodgers, the best team in the National League, playing Tampa, who had the best record in the American League in the World Series. It was How, the it's one... It's kind of rare. Yeah, it was the one right. seed versus the one seed, and it went six games. It was a really good series. Congrats to the Dodgers. They deserved it. They were the best team in baseball. If you are a baseball fan, you have to take a step back and go, good job. Some, you know, Sometimes you got to tip your cat, right? As hard as that is. Yeah. Other impressions from the World Series? Well, th- there were a lot. I mean, game four, what a friggin' game that was because you and I haven't had a chance to talk about it. In game four, you know, Tampa's down to their, their last out, and then they they tie up the game, and a Rosarena falls down 30 feet from home plate, and then Will Smith thinks he has the baseball, and he whips a tag on, realizes he didn't have the baseball, and a Rosarena gets up, and he dives on home plate. Unbelievable finish. I mean, there were so many really neat moments throughout the postseason, but a lot of great ones – um, in, in the World Series, and you know, even even Game Six, the final game, Urias comes in and he kind of shuts the door. For me, that game becomes controversial—not just for me, for anybody who follows baseball—in that all of a sudden, Julie, there's like this referendum on analytics versus gut feel. And for years and years, managers manage more often on gut feel, right? right? And then the analytics maybe came in and tell him Blake, go into the situation. Yeah, right. so so Blake Snell, I think most people know this. Blake Snell is throwing a two hitter after five and a third innings. He's already got nine strikeouts. He has been absolutely dominant. He gives up his second hit, a single to Austin Barnes, and marching out of the dugout is Kevin Cash. And he and before he even gets to the 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 third base line, he's already signaled he's bringing in Ian Anderson who has been really good, but he's given up a run in a postseason record six consecutive games. 
I mean, he's gone, you know, very poorly of late. And you're and you're taking him out because you gave up a single, and this guy's been really dominant. And in the aftermath, this is really where it became super controversial. In the aftermath of the of the World Series and all the interviews post game with the Dodgers, Mookie Betts, um, Dave Roberts, everybody was like uh, Corey Seager. They were like, thank basically, thank God they took him out. He was filthy. He was unhittable. And they were and they were starting. The next guy up after they took him out was Mookie Betts. He looked at Dave Roberts. And he smiled. He grinned at him like, I'm so thankful they took this guy out. He had struck out Mookie Betts twice already. Right. But the analytics cool. said, well, third time through the lineup, he, Blake Snell, even though he's their guy, he's their ace, hadn't been as effective. And that's where I, listen, are, are analytics great information? Has it changed and transformed the game and how we look at things and maybe value different players and, and how we align our defense absolutely no question and, and i salute those numbers but there's also a human factor and there's also an a, a factor as to where you are in a given point in time this is game six of the world series and my eyes tell me yeah maybe he has struggled third time through the lineup in the past but this dude is dealing right now and you- that should have for me and i think for a lot of baseball people that should have superseded whatever the analytics said. So do you think team analytics took a big hit? I think they I think they took not a big hit, but I think they took you know a hit and, and that's why I admire Buddy a lot. I mean, he soaks up all mm-hmm. the information, mm-hmm. but he still has enough old school in him that that you know, there, there's going to be right. a feel to what you do. And hey, listen, feel doesn't always work out, but guess what? Neither does analytics. Right, right. Okay, so what was your gut feel when you saw Justin Turner on the field after? That was a crazy situation. He is taking, and the team is taking, a ton of heat. Personally, I think rightfully so. I want to. I want to. I wanted to ask you about that because it's so easy now. The way we are, you know, we condemn anything right out of the gate right um oh how dare that person do that or how here's the thing with justin turner supposedly they don't find out till the seventh inning he gets immediate major league baseball alerts the dodgers he immediately is removed from the game right with a what, positive what, test right okay and the first one was inconclusive so he has one positive i don't it'll be interesting what happens in the in the coming days where we're taping this just two days later but mm-hmm. you know do we find out it was a false positive Who who knows Right. But what had he done the previous two plus hours, and then if you talk about warm up and so on, the previous four hours? Right. What what well, he had he been doing? Team. He was around. He was around his teammates. I know. It's and, but and the, I, come on, man. You just got a positive test. We you and we are all living in this world. We are all we are all living in that world. If you get a positive test, you have to know you're gonna get hammered if you go out there yeah i i I, it's a tough one and it's a tough one for me and i'm not trying to be cavalier about no i think a lot of people agree with you yeah i'm not trying to be cavalier at all about the seriousness of of how contagious you know this disease is yeah by the same token i do understand that 
this is somebody, any baseball player, they work their entire lives to, to be fortunate enough to get to the big leagues and then to win a World Series. And he's the longest tenured Dodger other than Clayton, uh, by position player, Clayton right. Kershaw, obviously. He's been there longer. But, you know, and you want you, you want to be it. out there. And I understand it. And I also understand some of the condemnation. But you know the people that have gone there? over the top about he should be yeah. suspended for the next year, right. I think that's ridiculous. Basically, what he said was, fuck it. I'm going out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's going to be some consequences to saying, fuck it, I'm going out there after a positive test. You just know that there are. Now, should he be suspended for a whole year? No. I would suspend him for 10 games next year. Yeah. I mean, hey, man, that may have been worth it for him. And I'm sure, Julie, you're damn right it was. Yeah. I mean, if if the commissioner rules that he's suspended, I I just can't pull that out of thin air, but he suspends the first couple of weeks of of April of next year, he'll he'll say, you know what, no problem. Glad to, because I got to, you know, go out there on the field with my teammates, guys that I've you know been with forever and ever. I know. It, it, listen, Major League Baseball wants to do as as much as they can, and they did it with the statement after to distance themselves and say we, you know, we told them not to go out there. We had people, you know, trying to, you know, they can't physically hold them back, mm-hmm. and and he completely did this on his own. And so I understand Major League Baseball having to take that stand. Um, was it selfish? Yes, there was a degree of selfishness, but I I, I understand it. Also, yes. what I would hope going forward is that all of those guys over these next few days make sure that they just you know self quarantine for a few days to make sure they yeah. didn't pick it up. I mean, that's the right thing to do for everyone involved, and that and Julie, you know what? As I think about this out loud, that would have been the right thing for those guys to do, even if Justin Turner never appeared on the field, because you're not going to see it. But he would have been with them in the clubhouse right. after, right? It's right. not like he's going to go hide. And they were with him for three or four hours, as we were talking about earlier. So they need to be cautious over the next week and make sure they're not positive and don't spread it if somebody comes back uh, with a positive test in, in the in the days um, after that. It's just another story to add to the craziness of 2020. It's yet another story. I have, by the way, a little bit later on. Tell me when you want. I have the dumbass statement of of the week. Oh, that has nothing to do with baseball. Okay, I do want to hear that, but can we take a break first? But a hundred percent, I want to hear your dumbass statement. Well, we heard about your wonderful days. So I thought I would <laughs> right. come out with the dumbass quote of the week. But first, we have this from our good friends at Steel. Tell you every week about steel power tools. They're simply outstanding. They're really easy to use. It's why folks like me and you can use them, and also people who utilize power tools for a living utilize steel. S T I H L, steeldealers.com. This is where you can find your local steel dealers, and there's more than 9,000 around the country. Steel, a company built on real power, tools built for real people and dealers who deliver real service. S T I H L, steeldealers.com. So if anybody thought life was over uh, at 76, I think Tony LaRusso has something to say about that. How about that? Tony LaRusso, Hall of Fame manager, is managing again, a team he managed many moons ago. He's going to be the new manager of the Chicago White Sox. And I think it's awesome. That guy's more than nine lives. He's been great, though. And and I love it. And it's it's also, we were talking about analytics earlier, and people are like, well, hey, the game's changed a lot since Tony. 
Tony's a bright friggin' guy. Tony Tony was like it was like the Bill Belichick of baseball. He took copious notes on everything. He I, I ran into him last year. You know, he was uh working with uh the Angels. He's he's learned a lot from Joe Madden, he said, being around Joe and Tony keeps soaking things up. I think it's great. We always like when a young guy gets an opportunity, right? What's where does it written that just because you're in your mid seventies that life is over and you no longer can can function? I think that's ridiculous. I think it's great. Okay, can guys relate to a seventy six year old? Julie, there are certain people. I'll, I'll give you an example. How old's Pat Riley now? He's not seventy six. Ninety. No, what is look it up while we're talking. Pat Riley, do you think he has the ultimate respect? I know he's not coaching, but he's no, running right. the Miami Heat and has run the Miami Heat for a long time. Last time I checked, they were in the NBA Finals. Do you think people don't respect him? You walk in that clubhouse and Tony LaRusse is there. No you way. do a little bit of research, you go, wait a second, this guy's a Hall of Fame manager. You know what made me laugh? There were some people in the Hall of Fame, from what I understand, they were upset because if you, or voters, I should say, because if you, you can't be voted into the Hall of Fame until you are officially retired as a player five years, as a manager, you have to basically declare you're done. But you know what? Where is it written that you can unretire? So what? So he's a Hall of Famer, and he decided to unretire. He has that right. Okay. How old do you think Pat Riley is? 70. 75. He, so he's the same age. No, I know. I know. But I think it's, I think it's um, like I would say Wade Phillips, and I'm looking that up right now. Um, I think you have to be a special kind of person to relate. And Wade Phillips and Pat Riley are. You have to have. You have to have. Ener- you have to have the energy of of maybe somebody we don't always associate a mid seventies person with. I think Tony Larusa will have that. Dick LeBeau, right. longtime a- assistant in football. He's he's now retired. He had it. Um, there've been there've been football coaches. There, we've seen it in a lot of sports where where guys work, you know, deep into their sixties or even into their seventies, and they Marv Levy. I mean, Marv Levy coached forever with the Buffalo Bills, and he had great energy, yes. Okay. Guess how old Wade is? 72. 73. See? I was in the ballpark. Okay. And Uh, I'd hire Wade Phillips in a New York minute to run my defense. And they guys love him. So you had mentioned before the break you had a dumbass quote. Let's get to that. Well, we're talking football, right? Yeah. We've kind of segued to football. And- (laughs) this one i was listening to this game because i was driving back from nebraska and nebraska opened the season in the big 10 against ohio state and it was a pretty good game for about a half and then ohio state like they do to most people ran away with it and late in the game julie with the score 45 to 17 ohio state has the ball deep in nebraska territory and they are now playing a true freshman quarterback but he has a right to play and to you know and, and to run the offense, so to speak. And now there's probably just maybe one play left in the game. And instead of taking a knee on like the five yard line going in the plus five yard line, they they ran a play and the kid, um, I, I think he ran in for a touchdown. And after the game, <laughs> Ryan Day, the head coach of Ohio State, said the following. If I could do it again at the end of the game, I would have taken a knee. I feel bad about that. I had a younger quarterback in the game, and I didn't feel, listen carefully what I'm about to say, this is part of the quote, Ryan Day said, I 
didn't feel like we had the personnel to take a knee, and I probably should have done that. I just want to say publicly that I apologize for that to Scott, as in Scott Frost, the head coach at Nebraska. You didn't have the personnel to go into the victory formation? You can line up in any damn formation with any sort of position group that you want, snap the ball, and take a knee. You could do it out of the shotgun. You could do it under center. You could direct snap it to a tailback. Fellas, we're going to run pro 171, yada, yada, yada. As soon as you get the snap, take a knee. To say you didn't have the personnel in the game to take a knee is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. I feel like that's one he probably wants to take back. Well, he wanted to take back the play. I think he wants to take back the apology also and just say, listen, if I would would have done it again, we would have taken a knee, and I apologize to Scott Frost. Don't try to come up with, I didn't have the personnel in the game to take a knee. That's bad. One college coach we probably would not hear saying that because he's a lot smarter than that is CU head coach Carl Durrell. Carl Durrell is a CEO type, and I I had – you know, met him a few times over the years because it's now this third time at CU. He remember he worked for Mike Shanahan also mm-hmm. as a wide receivers coach. He he had settled in Boulder with his wife Kim, but he was coaching all over the country. And most recently, he was with the Miami Dolphins before Mel Tucker left in the middle of the night, and he ultimately got the job. You're going to hear in this interview, very very impressive man. Coach, first of all, I, I'm not the first person. I'm, I'm probably way down the uh, the list now, but welcome back to Colorado for what is this, uh, third time in Boulder, and, and that would be four times if you include your stint with the Broncos, huh? Yeah, exactly, uh, Drew. It's um, third time here, and you know, each time I came back here was for a better job. It was more for more responsibility. I was here as a, the receiver coach in 92 and 93, and then I came back as the offensive coordinator from 95 through 98, and now here as a head coach in 2020. So I'm, I'm very excited to be back in this program, a program that really was, was very good to me in my career. Yeah, I, I've always, I'm a New Yorker originally. You're, you're somebody that traveled around growing up, but you, you went to high school on the West Coast and uh, obviously played at UCLA. There is something, and I know you're supposed to say this if, if you're you know, a head coach, whether you're in West Lafayette or Austin, Texas, or in this case, Boulder, Colorado, but there is something uniquely special about Boulder, isn't there? I believe so. I mean, it's, I've always been attracted to, to living here. Um, I, this is a place that, you know, if I wasn't in this seat and in this job at Colorado and I was still in the, in the, in the NFL coaching, um, I, I felt this is where I was going to end up at the end of my career is to, this was going to be the home base. Uh, my kids were born here in Boulder County. Um, both have grown, so we're empty nesters. So my wife and I were, were planning to, to be here, you know, to finish out my days after coaching. And, and it's just, uh, it's just a blessing to get this opportunity prior to that. Uh, and be in a place that I know that I've been very fond of for all these years. Yeah. I want to take you back to when, uh, you know, Mel Tucker left, if, if you would. You're, you're coaching down in Miami with the Dolphins. And I think in, in your universe, coaches are always aware of, of when positions open or somebody moves on and may it maybe it crossed your phone. I'm sure you were, you know, knee deep in, in, in preparing, uh, you know, off season or whatever it was. Um, how quickly did that come across your radar as 
you know, could I be a candidate? Would I be interested? Will the phone ring? Take us through that uh, that process when when Rick ultimately reached out to you. Yeah, that's, that was a uh, an interesting process because a lot of people that I felt um, that were worthy of this job um, were, you know, some guys that I've been very, very fond of that have been in this program, both former players and coached here. And, and um, for example, Eric Bieniemy, uh who I think is an outstanding coach, who was, you know, I, I had, you know, was fortunate to have him on my staff at UCLA. And now he's with the Kansas City Chiefs as the offensive coordinator. I actually felt he was uh, the front runner for this job just because, you know, he being a former player here, he's coached here before and, you know, obviously where he's doing now. So, you know, even though I had a strong desire, I would love to have had this opportunity, I, I knew that um, I would have to wait my turn, so to speak, and, and to see how the process unfolded. You know, no one really knows in terms of what the ADs and the – you know, a lot of these search firms and things like that, what they are, what the their scope of their of their of their search really involves. Um, but, you know, in the back of my mind, I knew that, you know, Eric was one of the uh, contenders or at least one of the ones that uh, they had interest in talking to and and a number of other people. So um, it's, it's really, you know, I was more uh, keeping my eye on it, <laughs> Drew, more, more than anything, you know, from that standpoint and not really. Uh, uh, really pushing any envelope to to try to throw my name in the hat. But um, when Rick called and he called me, it was funny, and I, you might have heard the story, but, you know, it was just before we had our NFL combine, and it was a Thursday afternoon, and I, the coach, uh, Coach Flores, gave us the, the weekend off at that point in time and just said to be back and be in Indy on Sunday night. Um, so I was going home here to, to Boulder, uh flying home Thursday night to to see my wife for a few days before going, you know, to Indianapolis for the combine. So I got a call Thursday afternoon from Rick and, and Lance Carl and both of them gauging my interest in this job and of course I said yes and they're very interested and they said, Well when can we talk to you? And I said, Well, to be honest with you, I'm actually flying in to Denver uh Thursday night, so I'm available to talk on Friday. So they were ecstatic about that and I was ecstatic as well. So uh it kind of started from that standpoint. The timing worked out perfectly. So I was flying home. I got a chance to visit with uh both Rick and Lance Carl at uh at my home for three or four hours and we we hashed out a lot of uh issues and concerns that you know about the job and the things that I liked about it and things of that nature. So but we ended the conversation with the job being offered, and I accepted. So I was I was just extremely excited, and and like uh, I'm still excited even as of today to be in this seat and to lead these young men. Yeah, I think that's the definition of serendipity. Um, that that whole process. That's interesting. Um, I they, I wouldn't say you know from afar. It may be a, an unfair term that you are the polar opposite of Mel Tucker, um, but. He, he, uh, on the occasions that I've met you, you're—I would always describe you as really even keel, and and I don't mean that. I I, I think that's a wonderful characteristic to have, especially in athletics. Um, what was there any? I don't want to say sell job, coach, but uh, you had young kids who all of a sudden their head coach they were excited to play for. They played for a year, and, and all of a sudden the circumstances of the business—they're gone. Did you feel like you had to? Let them know, hey, 
I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. You can you can trust me, so to speak. That's 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 the the very first conversation I had with Andrew, and and, and I thought it was it was something that I needed to do to reach out to these young men who, like you said, have have had some coaching changes and coordinator changes over the last three years. And, you know, I wanted to reassure them that, you know, I want to be a guy that's going to be give a level of stability in the program. And also the first, the thing that I wanted to do more than anything was to earn their trust. And, and I mentioned that in my very first team meeting, you know, I said, Hey, uh, there's a lot to do. I mean, there's a lot for for me to accomplish with you guys, and that all starts with me uh, doing the things that I do for you guys to understand that uh, I'm doing these things to earn your trust and to earn your respect and to know that, to, for them to know that I am there for them. So uh, I say within the last seven eight months, that was a process that I really undertook was to get to know these players, you know, intimately from, you know, who they are as people. And I think they really appreciated that that way of going about my business, uh, about getting to know them and and really uh, asking them about what are their goals, you know, what are their expectations, how do they see themselves. And, you know, a lot of the time coaches don't ask those things, uh, at least to 117 kids, but I think I had to just for them to know that it was more than just a football piece. You know, I'm, I'm here for you to help mentor you to, so that you can get a great college experience, uh, get a great degree, play great level of football, win some championships, and then set yourself to a path in life for success. And, uh, and that's really kind of our model of our program. You know, we're going to win games and win championships. And that's, those are fun, and that's why we're here. But the other part is to, and it's just as important, is that getting a great college experience, you know, really getting something out of this thing, getting that degree so that you're ready to, to be successful in any, any, you know, in any walk of life. I've always been curious about this, and it's evolved over time. When you either sit in the living room of a, of a 17, 18-year-old prospective recruit or there's a young person already in your program, 18, 19, 20 years old, who sits in your office. What is the most frequent question or questions that they ask of you? Well, they're, they're all enamored about the NFL. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. You know, me being in the NFL the last 12 years, you know, they, they have a lot of questions about the caliber of player there. You know, how do players develop there? How did they get there? You know, what does it take to, for them to have an opportunity to get an opportunity? So those are the kind of questions that, you know, you can imagine most young, you know, young aspiring uh, kids that, that want to play in the league. That's what they're thinking about. So uh, that did – it was easy to have those type of icebreakers <laughs> with the team because that's, you know, definitely the things that are on their mind. Um but, you know, I, I think it's, you know, I was the same way. I mean, I was when I was their age and, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old and playing, at, you know, in college, I, I, you know, that was my goal. You know, I wanted to play in the league. I wanted to get a chance to, to see play on Sundays and have my family watch me and things like that. So, you know, I want our guys to have those type of aspirations, but I also want them to know that they have to, you know, it's football you only can do for so long. You know, it's, it's more than, than the football piece. It's preparing you after football, which is what I, I really try to educate them on as well. I was having this discussion recently with a, with a good buddy of mine that, that I had played with many moons ago. And I said, you know, college football's really changed. The way I, I look at it now is that there's almost three tiers, uh, Carl, in that you have 
really about a half a dozen that I think legitimately could win a, a national championship currently. We know who they are, the Alabamas, the LSUs, the, the Ohio States of the world. And then there's an X grouping, and then there's probably a grouping beyond that. Um, where does Colorado fit currently? And realistically, from your vision, where can they fit three, five years, seven years from now as you continue to build? Well, I, that's a great question, too, Drew. I, I'm, I'm aspiring for this program to be uh, in the national picture, you know, so to be in the college football playoffs, to win a national championship. We've done that, you know, with Coach McCartney and, you know, in, the, in 1990, and that was after uh, I came in after that in 92. But I think the attitude and the, and the goals and the aspiration with, in the program at the time, even when I came in 1992, it was to win a championship. It was to get ourselves in the national picture. You know, it was to win our conference. And, you know, at that time, you know, there wasn't any college football playoff. But now that there is, you know, it the, the, it starts with winning the conference first. And then if you win the conference, maybe you, you're in one of those top, you know, four to six or eight seats that, that the uh, – you know the college football playoffs has. I know that is currently four, but uh, they're they're hoping to expand that you know a little bit more a little bit later. So, um, but that's the goal. You know, I, I don't think we're far away from that. It's going to be a couple of recruiting years that really uh, we got a good 2020 class that's here currently on campus that I think is going to elevate and help us, you know, get to a little better level this year. Uh, our 21 class, I think, is is a little bit better than the, than the 20 class that we're excited about. So we got to just keep stacking up some good recruiting classes that are going to give us, uh, you know, the 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 championship level play that we need to be in the Pac-12, and then let and let that give us that opportunity for that next level. So we're not that far away, but it's it's definitely a, that's the challenge that we set before ourselves. You know, when you first embarked on this, and even going back to when you were being recruited, and you end up. Uh, going to Westwood, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the kids today with social media and the fact that the elite kids are all going to the same camps and that sort of thing, the kids do as much recruiting for you as your staff, or is that inaccurate? I would say there's some truth to that, you know, because they're all very, very active on social media. And um, you know, they, they create, you know, relationships with kids all across the country that they maybe have bumped into or a certain school is recruiting them and they have a, co- you know, a common ground that way where they're recruiting the same, you know, two or th- two or three kids. And I think they, they, they create networks, you know, they create, uh, you know, that type of relationship with, with, within each other. So when you're, when you have your recruiting class that's starting to establish and there's a number of players in that class, they get to know each other. They want. They're asking for their, you know, their Twitter handles and their cell, you know, numbers and things like that, so they can get engaged with these guys that are, that are, you know, part of your recruitment class. And they're they're recruiting other poten- potential guys that you know that are thinking about, you know, joining us. So there's definitely that effect. There's definitely that effect that recruiters or recruits are able to do that can help bolster recruiting, and and that's really what this is all about, anyways. Building those kind of relationships and and building. Uh, a like-mindedness of of the type of kids we're asking to get here, and 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 creating that, I guess that momentum, that recruiting momentum. You know, when you finish out classes. More with Carl Durrell in a moment, the head football coach at the University of Colorado. 
but this for my friends at Ideal Home Loans, talking to a good friend of mine who I just sent them to Ideal Home Loans, and they called me today and they said they're thrilled with the service they're getting, how well they're getting taken care of, and how much money, most importantly, they're saving going with Ideal Home Loans. You can do it too. Give Brent Ivinson's team a call, 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. They have salary-based folks, so they're not in the market to just try to sell you a product. They're going to listen and they're going to lend. They're terrific at what they do. It is Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. And now more with Carl Durrell. You know, it has to be particularly neat. I have three boys and um, my oldest is 22. My, my next is 20 and my, my next is getting ready to go to, to college. He's a senior in high school. Um, I, I, I'm very close with them. I, I, I think it's got to be so neat for you to have Chandler, your son, on your staff. What is that dynamic day to day? It's it's unique. You're right. He's 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 uh, first of all he's holding his own, which is what I told him he's going to need to do, and and uh, he's done a, tre- a tremendous job for us, you know, in our player personnel area, and. Um, you know, but it is it's good to have a chance to see him every day. You know, he's working for us, he's studying, he's doing the things that, you know, pertain to his job. So it's fun to have him in the building every day to, that I can see him. Now, it, we don't we don't talk and interact all that much, you know, because he does he works more on the recruiting and pro, player personnel side. You know, we're you know I've been tying into the football side of in our preparations right now, but. Um, but it's definitely fun. It's definitely fun to have him in the building. He's done a great job. I'm very proud of what he, you know, he's passionate about. You know, he loves evaluating kids and players. And so he's really, it fits his skill set and the things and the goals and aspirations that he wants for himself. And I'm just glad that he's here with me. And, you know, we're, happy, we're, we're, we're challenged to do those things together. For you, for you and your wife, what was the uh, conversation like? Because Chandler started at Stanford and it's not like he transferred to a chop liver academic institution in, in Vanderbilt, but usually you go, hey, don't leave Stanford. That's a pretty good place to start out your life if you can say I have a degree from Stanford. Had that conversation go uh, several years ago? Well, it was similar to that because you know he was at Stanford, and very, and I was really excited for him, and he was on, you know, in that program, and and then when. Uh, you know, when I was uh, let go at uh, when we all were let go at, at the Texans, you know, I was on Gary Kubiak's staff there, and I go to Vanderbilt, and you know, and Derek Mason, who are really good friends of, of mine, and you know, he's the head coach, and and he was at Stanford, so you know, it was one of those things. You know, I think he wanted to be where I was, and and I I kind of was a little bit concerned about that because I wanted him to stay, you know, because he was making grounds and making, you know, for himself at Stanford and I just didn't want him to start all over coming to Vanderbilt. But, you know, I, he he was just adamant, you know, he wanted to to be in a place where I was and, and, and I really was appreciative of that and had a chance to coach him for a year. And and uh, so it, it was it was uh, definitely a great experience from both of our part that was for that to happen. And it's obviously uh, the icing on the cake that he's he's here with me now, you know, working for us in our you know personnel area. And of course, uh, not Chandler, obviously a great athlete, but your, your daughter Lauren, 
uh, three years, I believe, at, at the University of Colorado in volleyball, and, and then down in Auburn, Alabama. Yeah, she's uh, she's a senior down at Auburn. She transferred there last year, and uh, they have a new coach. Uh, actually, the new coach, uh, Brent Crouch from from USC, uh, took over that program. So uh, she's all excited about you know the new coach and you know the the prospects of this season for themselves, and you know she's graduating here this December as well. So. You know, we're, uh, you know, I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, my, mine are basically done out of college after this fall and, and, um, but it's a, it's a great feeling because she's, you know, she's doing the things that she loves to do and she enjoys uh, Auburn and, and uh, the people down there and, and, uh, and they just got started so they just had their first game last week and they didn't win but it was promising how they played against the fourth ranked Florida team. That's great. You know, uh, the, the thing I will tell you is you're well aware of, far be it for me to give you advice, but, um, you and I are the exact same age. You got me by two months actually. And, uh, getting older beats the alternative. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, there's, there's, we're not gonna, we're not gonna duck away from that, Drew. The age, that's gonna continue to compound against us. But as you know, you know, you still have, you know, your three boys and your one that's in high school, your youngest, you know, you still got a chance to stay young for quite a bit longer. So, you know, stay young while you can. That's right. As long as I can still throw BP, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. Hey, real quick, uh, on your, on your, on this 2020 version, and it's gonna unfold, uh, Beginning on November seventh against your alma mater and a place you were a head coach in in UCLA, what what do you perceive to be the strengths right now as you go into the season? And, and are there you know there's always concerns for a coach, but let, let's start with the strengths of of this football team that uh, you just took over. I think our strengths right now, and 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 I think even on paper people see it, is that we have a number of returning starters on our defensive side, particularly on our defensive front, and and uh, you know they've they've been doing very very well, you know, so far this training camp, and you know we uh, you know we're we've made some tweaks and some things defensively that that are going to allow us to play better, you know, it's uh, you know we I think on last year when I when I got the job and I watched all the season tape from offense and defense and special teams. I, you know, the defense, the latter part of the season, the last three or four games, really we're starting to play well. And um, so our goal, you know, going through camp right now is is to build on that, you know, with our defense. And, you know, we have some experience there and, and, and do some things that are really more conducive to the talent that's on that side of the ball. So I think we that's working really, really well. I think offensively. You know, we have some good returning talent in the backfield and at the receiver positions and the tight end positions. And we have a few starters returning offensively on the offensive line. You know, the new guy, the quarterback is going to be, you know, he's the one that's going to have to get seasoned up quickly, you know, and play well, you know, without having spring practice and all those things. So, um, we think with, uh, we got a couple of really good candidates and, and Tyler Lytle and, and, and Sam Neuer that, you know, they're battling right now and, you know, it's, uh, things are going pretty good. They're doing a really nice job of managing our system and, you know, they can continue to get better. And the thing that I stress with them every day is that, man, it's pretty soon the bullets are going to be flying. It's going to be fast and we got to understand the anticipation of that, what that looks like. And, uh, and they get that and they understand that and they're working hard. So, um, but we feel our defense is going to probably, you know, be our strength right now. Offensively, we have to catch up as we go through the season. You know, special teams, we got our returning kicker back and, and punter, so we feel solid there. And so it's, uh, it's just a matter of getting our offense, you know, off to a good start so they can continue to produce week after, week in and week out. Hey, Carl, I know you've handled this a lot and I don't, I don't want to beat it to death, but it's a natural. First of all, you're in athletics. You were a terrific athlete. You're a competitor. 
you are facing the, the, the place you went to school in UCLA. You, you're, uh, it's a place that you were the head coach. Uh, not, that it, not that it means any more if you were opening against Iowa State or Oregon State or another school somewhere in the country, but it, it, it is uniquely special, is it not, that, that your first game now as the head coach in Boulder comes against UCLA? I think the uniqueness, yes, I think there's a uniqueness to that because I was on the other sideline, you know, back in 2003, you know, we were playing Colorado. So that makes it a, a uniqueness with, um, you know, me being on one side at that time and then now I'm on the other side. Um, but, you know, to me, it's, it's, a, it's been 13 years that, you know, 12 that I've been in the NFL and came back and, you know, I, it, I don't, I don't look at it as if it was just yesterday <laughs> that, um, you know, my, my affiliation, you know, with, with UCLA has, uh, really any strong bearing on what's, what's going on. I, I, I'm trying to build with our team, you know, UCLA is in our division. You know, they are one of our, we're going to be playing them every year. You know, they're, they're in our South division. You know, we're in the South with Utah and both Los Angeles schools and Arizona schools. So it, we, we have to understand that this is a six game season and every single one of these games are, are very important. So this first game and, I, and it's UCLA. I mean, I think that has some nostalgia to it, which I get, but I think for us, if we were playing Arizona or Utah or anything like that, it's, it's really important that we play well in this first game. And uh, we just happen to have the Bruins on, you know, on tap. And we're going to stress them playing well and, you know, taking advantage of opportunities that we get in this first one because it's only a six-game season and every one of them counts, you know, very specifically if you're trying to get into the postseason. So, you know, we do have that level of importance just because of the nature of our season. When you talk about people who've had influence on you, rather than go down the long list, because you've been at this now a while, we were kidding about age a, a few minutes ago, but, but going way back to a guy that, that will always be a legendary figure in these parts, uh, particularly for people who are partial to, to the buffs, and, and that's Bill McCartney. If there was a singular thing that you took away from what he did in Boulder and, and your experience with him, what would it be? He, he was such a strong motivator. I mean, I, I think one of the best coaches I've ever worked for in my career. And, and I've been with some really good ones, you know, really good ones. And with starting with my former head coach, Terry Donahue, who I've, I felt was outstanding, you know, in my career at UCLA and what he's taught me and what he's, he got me in this profession. And, you know, I owe a lot to, to him just because of, you know, he saw something in me that he felt that I could be special in this profession. Um, you know, I had the Mike Shanahan, you know, I've, I've had, you know, Bill Parcells and, you know, I had a number of really, really good people in my background and, and, and Bill McCartney is just as strong of, of an influence on, on all those other names just because he was such a great motivator. He understood our players and their needs. Um, he was, he was a disciplinarian with details. You know, really hard on the coaches about coaching the details and, and not, you know, taking care of the little things and let them play and turn it loose on Saturday. So, you know, I, I, that's what I take from him. He's, you know, he's one of the best coaches that I've ever been with. Yeah. I, I certainly can understand that. And, um, from a motivational standpoint, having been around him, uh, he, he could get you motivated and you didn't, you're not even pl putting a helmet on for him. So he, he had really uniqueness in that regard. 
I tell you, Drew, I can tell you there's been two or three times, you know, that he would have these, you know, end of week meetings on Fridays, you know, before games and he's given, you know, his synopsis about the, you know, the opponent and stuff like that. And he was so, you know, like you said, was such a strong motivator. And, and here I was one of his assistant coaches, but I was grabbing my seat by, you know, and really, you know, really gripping the armchair of my seat just because of what he's been saying. And it, it was like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's yeah. one of those things is, you know, he would motivate the coaches as well. And, and that's what I took from him. He just knew, you know, how to get teams ready to play. And, um, you know, so I'm hopeful that, you know, some of those things rubbed off on me, you know, in, in my career and about, you know, getting our teams ready to play, turning it loose and, and then, you know, just look up 60 minutes later and see, and see where the dust settles. Hopefully it's a win for the, for the Buffaloes. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a quick funny story. So, you know, many years ago, I, I had, uh, you know, I was getting ready for a game and the, I, had, I had Colorado and somebody, I think it was Baylor, I have, who knows what, who, who you guys were playing then. And, and Mac was still there and it was Friday walkthrough. And, uh, you know, he was very gracious, obviously, allowing, you know, the broadcasters to have access naturally. And, and I was on one end of the field and, all of a sudden, and I'd known Mac for, for a while, all of a sudden he's he's at the other end of the field and he's about 70 yards away, Carl, and, and he yells, Drew! And I and I turned and I literally, you know, I'm, I'm a, now I'm a professional broadcaster. I'm in my, I don't know, early 30s. I am jogging at a good clip to get to the other end of the field. And as I'm running, I'm thinking, I'm like sprinting like I'm playing for him again just because he you know, yelled my name as opposed to, you know, obviously I'm going to go down there. But I was like, I'm almost sprinting because coach is calling me. It was kind of funny. I'm telling you, <laughs> he has that type of effect on people. He does. Yeah. You know, he's still around and, you know, I'm so I'm so blessed that he's still uh, around and he walks and he comes to our practices. And, you know, obviously he's staying away from the team because of the COVID and stuff like that. But, you know, he's been, you know, walking around the perimeter of our, you know, a lot of the things that we've been been doing. And, and you know, it's just fun to have him here because he has such a presence you know he's he and no all players don't really understand him as as you know as he i guess emotionally as i do um but he's uh he's a rock i mean he's he's a great man he's always he's always uh you know he's always has some some good football wisdom and wisdom to share so uh just i'm glad that he's still around i'll leave you with this one um you you grew up uh you know in a military family but I know you went to high school in southern california i believe in the san diego area am i am i right with that carl yes la mesa okay. in san diego yeah okay and obviously you go to, you go to westwood so we're in the midst of the world series and maybe as this comes out it may already be the dodgers but were you rooting for the dodgers the padres or or did you have a i know you like baseball so who'd you have in the hunt well you just you just hit it on the nail there drew is that remember i grew up in san diego so you know i was a big charger fan and san diego padre fan so that was back when we had woody mccovey and bobby tolan i mean we had some really good you know, we had some we had some good teams down there with the Padres. So uh, I was always a Padre fan. I still have a fondness for the Padres, even though I don't watch baseball as much anymore. But um, but growing up, it was the Padres and the Chargers. <laughs> I got it. Well, the Padres have had a resurgence. They got a great young team. They got a kid named Fernando Tatis that 
Uh, he's a great baseball player, but I'm thinking he would be a pretty good cornerback or wide receiver also. He's freaky talented as an athlete. So, All right. Carl, good chatting with you. I wish you nothing but the uh, the best this season and in, and in years to come. Really appreciate the time, and I look forward to seeing you when, uh, when things clear a little bit. Sounds good. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate your time. That interview, as always, brought to you by Ideal Home Loans. You guys talked about his expectations for his team for the season. What are your expectations? Well, I would clarify that as opposed to just looking at this season because he's inheriting – you know, a team and, and I don't, I don't, they're going to play seven games. I don't know how that'll go. I mean, three and four, four and three. Um, but he, you know, he's starting over. He takes over as we all know for, for Mel Tucker. Um, he was impressed with his 2020 recruiting class. He's really impressed with some of the guys that have already, you know, have verbal commitments for 2021. To me, can you be a contender in the PAC 12? Can you be a national caliber program and there's two levels of national caliber for me Hmm. there is the half a dozen schools that legitimately have a chance to win it all julie we talked about ryan day ohio state's one of them clemson obviously is one of them alabama's one of them lsu defending champ they lost a lot of players this year but they're they're in it every year the blue bloods the blue bloods and julie again i for me there's only about a half a dozen of them that each year can say maybe oklahoma each year if if things fall right we can we're going to be in the national title hunt and then there's a group of schools that are kind of perennial top 25 or 30 programs that are at that next level can see you get to the point like they were 25 years ago where they're one of those schools. I mean, they obviously won a national title, but things are completely different than 1990. I think they can. I the, think that re- is the timeline of that. I think in the next five years, yeah. three to five years, they can get in that grouping of being a team that is a perennial, you know, top 25 team. Do I think they can be a national title contender as college football is currently structured they're not a blue blood, and I don't see them becoming a blue blood in the next several years. To do that, you have to have the most ravenous you know, support from the community and from boosters, mm-hmm. and you know, Colorado will never be mistaken for Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and the folks that follow the Tide, or even now the Clemson Tigers right. and what they've been able to accomplish. I've done games in Baton Rouge. I mean, there's 110,000 people that show yeah. up there, Julian. They and they they get there early and they leave late. That's that's not bold, right? I would, but I think we just want to con- I compete, like right. make it interesting. Make I do it fun, think that's make it, possible. I do, too. but if you think if you think we're going to flash back no, to 1990 when not. when the no. planets aligned and, and the and the and the Buffs ended up winning a national title or a share of a national title, right. I don't. I realistically don't see that. And it's I not think, a knock. I just think right. that's the way things are. I don't. I don't think most schools can. But I would take. I take. Remember the rise. Yes. I take that again. That yeah. was fun. It was fun. There were people that were talking about CU football. I think for people like us who love college football and people who love the Buffs, mm-hmm. I think that they very definitely can have a team that they're excited about that wins nine, ten football games a year and plays in, in good bowl games, competes hopefully to play in an occasional, you know, win a Pac-12, you know, once in a, you right. know, I don't want to say blue moon, but, you know, once once in a while, win, you know, win the South Division of the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I think those things are doable. But if you're talking about playing in the national title game against Clemson or Alabama, 
I hope it one day happens. I hope I eat my words, but I think that's a reach right now. So as we end the podcast, I love ending the podcast this way. What what do you do tomorrow? We're not going to end it that way because we have we have a little bit of it, it's sad news for for me and and and, it, for me. and for you, but you are the podcast is going to continue. Yes. But, and you're going to be on every once in a while. I'm going to call you up, but you you are so busy in your life in Adams County Fire and some other things that you're going to kind of take a step back. Is that a fair way to put it? That's a fair way to put it. Okay. Yes. I love you. I miss love you. you. And and this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't you coming to me and teaching me what a podcast was, <laughs> right? I yeah. thought so I turned on the radio, but we, it started during a, like a rain delay or something at Coors it Field did. one night. It did. And we, it did. And we talked yeah. about it. And yeah, I'm proud of our little podcast. It. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I've had a great time. I will, we're going to do this again. But yeah, no, I'm going to take a little bit of backseat to it. And yeah, but um, I have to tell you about a third date, right? Like if, you know. Yeah. We're going to call, we're going to, we're going <laughs> to get, we're going to find out uh, Julie's dating habits and check in on, on some other things as well. But, Again, it's been it's been a great ride. We're going to continue to do the same thing, and Julie's going to be on periodically. But yeah. uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Love you. Love you, too. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart.